Colossians 2. I want you to know how hard I'm contending for you, for those at Lysia, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that, that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from the body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See that no one takes captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith and the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, restra restraining sensual indulgence. I've told you about our experience in Florida in church planting that little congregation that I took in 1976. Don't want to know how old you were, Kelly, in 1976. I, I know you weren't even born yet. Ah, I feel old already. We were meeting in the woman's club in a public building. I've talked about taking down chairs and setting up chairs and what a pain that was week after week. And during the process of that, we were building a building, and that was a challenge in itself. But when we got in the building, everything changed. Paul, we'd been running about 25 in that public facility, surrounded by other churches. And so there was, it was difficult to get people to come to those services. We got in the building and we had our first vacation Bible school that we had ever had. Um, I had a van, personal van that I drove, and went out and got kids, met families, the parents of those children. That vacation Bible school began a revival. After the vacation Bible school, and by the way, I, we had a family night for the kids and their parents on a Friday evening, and I preached one of the most in-your-face sermons I had ever preached before. One of my members said, 
preacher, there was blood in the aisles with you stepping on toes in that sermon. These people will never come back. The thing is, we had 22 additions. Now think about that. We'd been running 25 people. We had 22 additions over the next six weeks. Those additions were not the children. Those additions were their parents. I can't tell you how huge that is in a young church plant. Those people were saved, excited, but almost immediately, family members who had never spoken with them before about Jesus, all of a sudden became very religious. They were upset that their friends had been saved and baptized in a Baptist church. And they began to try to draw them away. They succeeded with one young couple. And then that couple, the, the wife, began to speak with another wife in the congregation. They started attending a heretical church. I mean, this was... I could spend a while talking about their plan of salvation. It was a five-point plan of salvation. And the bottom line is, you've got to earn your way to heaven. And drew away those two families. Well, that stopped the revival, but it didn't stop God. We continued growing, and it took years but we never had another movement of the Spirit, another revival quite like 22 editions in six weeks. The same thing happened at Colossae. That's what we're studying. The letter, Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, we call it Colossians. The letter to the Colossians. The same thing happened there. There was a church plant, Epaphras, was the missionary pastor of that work. And people were saved, baptized, joined together, worshiping. They had placed their faith in Christ. But all of a sudden, there were the Gnostics, the philosopher, uh, philosophers of their day, who came in and began to try to draw people away. Listen, when God is at work, the devil gets mad. And he will do anything he can to stop the revival, to stop the growth, to keep you from coming to faith, to keep you from having a witness for him. The devil gets mad and he steps in and tries to work. Every Sunday when I give an invitation, I am convinced, Tim, because I've preached the Word of God, that the Spirit of God is moving, but so's the devil. He's trying to keep you from making the decisions and the commitments that you know God wants you to make. And He's moving in the same service that the Holy Spirit is, but the Holy Spirit's more powerful if you just listen to Him. Paul wrote this letter to the church at Colossae to say, you need to listen to me. He spent the whole first chapter talking about who Jesus is and that hymn that is so beautiful at the, at, near the end of Colossians chapter 1. But in Colossians chapter 2, under the theme that we're still talking about, Jesus is the one. He's the one and only. 
And He is sufficient. He is enough. You are accepted in the Beloved. All the fullness of God is in Him. And you are complete in Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. But then He gives four warnings about substitutes. And remember, we're talking about Jesus is the one and only. Therefore, do not accept any substitutes. And actually, He's going to name Four substitutes you need to look out for. Somebody who's going to draw you away and how they'll try to do that. Now, Paul, this, this is going to be four sermons in one. So you're learning how to preach. This is not one sermon. And only a nut would try preaching four sermons in one. But I've only got so many weeks in this series. And so I've got to get it done today. Um, I wrote in my notes, we got a long way to go, Jamie, and a short time to get there. Uh, some of you will recognize that, but hang on, because we got a lot to cover. First of all, you need, in accepting those substitutes, to beware of persuasive people. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. That's chapter 2, verse 4. Listen, you need to beware of popular preachers. There are preachers out there that will lead you astray. They are powerful in their speech. They're, they are very eloquent. They preach what you want to hear. Uh, Joe, that's what the Bible says, right? In these days, people will be drawn away by preachers with who, who preach to eat itching ears. That is, they, they preach what you want to hear instead of the truth. Be careful about powerful, prop, uh, popular preachers. Be careful about political leaders and intellectual teachers who want to deceive you by persuasive speech. It worries me to death about our young people who are going to university because the typical university professor, even if he claims to be Christian, is atheistic. He believes heresy and he will teach you socialism. He will te teach you woke philosophy. He will teach you error. I don't care how great a preacher sounds to you. You better check him out by the Bible, and that includes Pastor Lynn. That includes me. Check me out by the Bible, the Word of God. I've read it a few times, and I try to preach just the Word, but a practical application of the Word. Not everything I say is going to be word for word in the Bible, but you check out the passages and see if I am not of taking that Word of God and making it practical to you. Be careful of people with persuasive speech. They will take you off the narrow way. They will take you on to the broad way that leads to hell. They will take you off the right road and into a confusing and endless maze. Stay on the right road. How do you do that? Well, according to Paul in Colossians chapter 2, you remember that your faith is in Christ. It's not in the preacher. It's not in faith in LR. 
It's not in Uncle Fred or Aunt Mary. It, it is in Jesus Christ. Make sure that you are in Christ. Jesus is the one and only, and only He can save you. For though I'm absent with you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are, and here it is, and how firm your faith in Christ is. How firm is your faith? I talked about our teenagers, those going to university. Uh, we've, we've got the redheads going in a few years, Charlotte. And, and, you know, I worry about our kids. How firm is your faith? Mom, you know what the answer to this problem is? You make sure that your children have their own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That their relationship is not your relationship that your relationship is not their relationship if it is when they get out of the home they won't have a relationship and their faith will not be firm raise your children to be firm in the faith live your lives your very walk live your lives in him what is the focus of your life? Just as you've received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Every decision, every place you go, everything you do, Jesus is with you and Jesus is in you, but you need to walk and live in Him by His direction, by His power, according to His will. You need to be rooted in Him. So then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, come to continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him. Where's your foundation? Listen, if you don't have a strong foundation, just, just look at what happened to houses in the hurricane in Florida. Now, Florida has some very strict rules because it is a hurricane zone. And a lot of houses withstood the hurricane because they clip the, the, top, the, the roof uh, to, to the mantle around the house. They have hurricane clips. When we built our house in Florida, I think we nailed 300 hurricane clips on that house at some point to hold it down in hurricane winds. And by the way, it's withstood several and it's still there. Where's your foundation? How are you held together? Make sure that you are rooted in Christ. Not just rooted in Christ, but built up in Him. I've said to you again and again, how much have you grown since you got saved? Are you still growing? Listen, if you're not growing, you're dying. That's pretty blunt. If, if you're stagnant, in your walk with Jesus, if you are not progressing in your walk with Jesus in your life in Him, then you are going backwards. You need to be rooted in Him and you need to be continually growing in Jesus Christ. By the way, uh, this is not throwing in an advertisement. This is what we're all about. That's why you need to be in a small group. That's why you need to be in a study group that starts at 9 o'clock. 
I'm, I'm just thrilled with Todd and what they're doing in the home builders class. I'm excited about the teen class. Um, Mark and Michelle in, in the middle school. We, we've got three different, is that right? Three different adult classes. Now that doesn't count our college age class. Uh, they're sort of in-betweeners. I, I, I thought maybe that's what you need to call that class. You call it the way. I call it the in-betweeners. But for, for you adults, whatever age, we have study groups for you so that you can be rooted in Christ and continually built up in Him. I've, there are some of you... I'm, I really need to grab and <clears throat> almost called a name. I won't do that. And, and get you into the pastor's class or Gail Holmes' class or Don Orinder's class. We have groups where you can be built up in Him, strengthening your faith so that you can be established in Him. As you receive Christ, Rooted, built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught. If you're not taught, if you're not willing to be taught, you probably will not be established. I would encourage you to seek out one of those study groups. Stay on the right road and always be abounding in Him. As you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Those of you who've heard me preach a few times know that I usually get around at some point to say that there are few things in life that are more life-changing than an attitude of gratitude to God. Gratitude, thanksgiving to God. If you realize that your faith is in Him, you're established, rooted, built up, growing in Him, you can only respond with thanksgiving to God. Accept no substitutes. Be careful about those false teachers. You know, there's a reason we have local churches. Because that guy on the other side of the camera and on your television screen doesn't know who you are, does not really care about you, has no personal connection. Some of you are visitors and you wonder why in my sermons I call names in the church. It's because I see somebody looking at me. Not everybody, everybody's going to quit looking at me now. But I see, Melody, I see you looking at me. And I reach out and make a connection. And, and I love doing that. It keeps us on the same page. It, it ought to help you know that I care about you. That guy on the TV does not care about you. He doesn't know who you are and does not want to know as long as you'll keep sending your check. Beware. Beware of powerful, heretical teachers and leaders who will lead you astray. Be careful about popular philosophy. See to it that no one takes you captive. Okay, Paul, this is the reason I said that there's four different sermons here. There's four different warnings, and every one of those warnings, if you look in your Bible and, and look it up, every single of those, the first one was to deceive you. This one is to take you captive. We'll talk about the others. Every one of those is a different Greek word, and several of those Greek words, Paul, 
occur only here in all the New Testament. Only occur one time, and it's in this passage. When you find something like that, you found a gem. Just, just saying. Be careful that they don't take you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. The popular philosophy in Colossae was Gnosticism. You can't really know. Matter does not exist. It's just a, an image. It's not real. God is not real. And you can't know God. Gnosticism. It was an anti-God philosophy. Now, this may not be popular. But I'm not here to be popular. But in our day, the heretical philosophy anti-God is the woke movement. If Beware of woke preachers and woke churches, woke politicians and woke educators. Somebody's saying, what does that mean? Read the newspaper. You'll find out very quickly. Woke theology and philosophy is socialism. You, I work hard so you can have a good life. Think about that. I work hard so you can have a good life. I paid my kids tuition through school. My children, praise God, it was the blessing of God. But my kids graduated university, both of them, without one dollar of debt. It can be done. But wokeism is socialism so that your kids go to college. Well, not yours, but other kids go to college to get a degree in basket weaving at which they'll never earn a living. Kids, for goodness sake, it doesn't matter what you think you would enjoy doing. You better find something that will pay the bills. Can I get an amen? You better find an occupation and an education that will pay the bills. You can't live in your mother's basement all your life. <laughs> Finally get an amen. <laughs> Woke philosophy is socialism. And it was Margaret Thatcher who said the problem with socialism is you eventually run out of other people's money. It's critical race theory. Let me tell you, critical race theory is heretical and it promotes racism. It says it's okay for you to be racist unless you're white. And if you're white, you're automatically a racist. That's promoting hatred. The Bible says very clearly anyone who hates his brother... It does not say what color you are, what race you are, what nationality you are. If you hate your brother, you're a racist. You're against God. You don't know the Lord. And yet that's what's being taught in our schools, in our universities. That other thing, the ABC philosophy. LBGTQ, and they keep adding letters to it. Is that biblical or not? Absolutely is not. Does that mean we hate those who are a part of that? It does not. God loves them, and it's our job to love them 
in the Lord and lead them to the Lord. Anyone in that movement is welcome in these services to hear the preaching of the Word of God and have their lives changed. But be careful about being told that you have to accept them and that if you do not accept their lifestyle, you're filled with hatred and filled with fear. That is woke philosophy. And every bit of that is the opposite of biblical principles. You say, well, preacher, you're going to be in trouble preaching stuff like that. How do you think Paul felt when he wrote to the Colossians and said, stay away from the Gnostics. They don't care about you. Just, they just want to take you captive. Same, same, same. How not to be taken captive by popular philosophy is realize you are complete in Christ. You are full and complete through your union with Christ. What's that Tom Cruise movie where he says, the guy says, you complete me. And every woman in the audience says, oh, that's so sweet. Your husband or wife does not complete you. It is Jesus Christ. If you are in Him, you are complete. Let me say to those in the crowd who are divorced, those who are not yet married, those who are widowed, widowers, you're complete. You're not half a person. You are complete in Jesus Christ. And that is the only way you will ever be complete. Realize that you're cleansed in Christ. When you came to Christ, you were circumcised, but not by physical procedure. Christ performed a spiritual circumcision, the cutting away of your sinful nature. He's cut it away. You are complete in Him so that now... When God the Father looks at you, He sees a clean soul because you've been cleansed in Christ. You're alive in Christ. He has made you alive. I, it, one of the things that bothers me is dead Christians. I, I think it was last week, Todd, I said, well, all of those who are dead, please lay down so we know you're dead. We're alive. We ought to act like we're alive. We have an eternal life, an exciting life in Jesus Christ. If none of this excites you, um, okay, I'm from Alabama. We didn't do so well yesterday. But uh, the saying is, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. That, that's exciting. God has made us alive. We are forgiven in Christ Jesus. There are those who would like to pour guilt on you. And I want you to understand you are forgiven. Listen, if you're struggling with false guilt, what's that? Heather, what's false guilt? Well, that's guilt that God's already forgiven. And you just haven't accepted it yet. Humanists talk about 
well, I just can't forgive myself. No, that's not the way it is at all. You can't accept God's forgiveness. God's bigger than you, and you're taking His place by feeling guilty over something that He's already wiped away. And you are clean, and you just have to accept the forgiveness that He offers. You are forgiven in Christ. He forgave all our sins, except no substitutes. One of those substitutes is empty religion. Therefore, do not let any, anyone judge you. Paul, that's the, the next one. Crino, judge, con, has the idea of condemnation. But don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, a Sabbath day. Beware of those who would make you feel guilty because you don't do things the traditional way. That is false guilt. Jesus has made us free. Oh, I love this passage. You were dead because of your sins, because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive in Christ. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. Now, I, I, I need you to get this picture. You have to understand. Think of a legal document from a court that says you're guilty and you're going to be executed. They're going to send you to the gas chamber. You're going to be on death row. And here it is in writing. And God steps up, takes it, and cancels it. He just takes it away. He doesn't just take it away. He nails it to His cross. On the day that Jesus was crucified, He was nailed to the cross. Todd, because He became sin for us. Can't understand that? Don't pretend to. But He who knew no sin became sin for us and He was nailed to the cross. But Sarah, it says when He was nailed to the cross, He took that document of condemnation and nailed it to the cross. He took it away. He nailed it to His cross. Not only that, but having disarmed by doing that the powers and the authorities, He made a public spectacle of them. It's like Adam. He took them, beat them down, and drug their bodies through the streets. Listen, God has overcome Satan and all His angels and they have no power over you. You are free. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Amen. Jesus has canceled your sin debt. Jesus has canceled your condemnation. And Jesus has overcome your evil enemies. I, I told the staff I might just do a little dance on the stage when I got to this point. If that does not light your fire, your wood is wet. Praise God! We have victory in Jesus Christ and we have freedom. If therefore, do, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regards to a religious festival. All of that 
however, is found in Christ. Everything that we need, avoid empty religion. Seek a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then finally, number four. Fourth sermon, if you will. Accept no substitutes. That's worthless rules. Rules, rules, rules. You see, there was not only the Gnostic Shelley's, there were the Judas, there were the Jewish traditionalist, the legalist that came and tried to put them, Jamie, under the old laws. And those laws had to do with food and drink and other things. And he says, uh, do not let anyone disqualify you. That's the fourth word, Paul. Don't let anyone disqualify you. Well, you're not Christian because you do this or you don't do that. Those are rules. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why do you submit to its rules? Those rules, if, if followed, become a substitute for Christ. And I'm telling you, Jesus is the one and only, and He's enough. You don't need rules of what to eat and drink. You don't need rules of what to wear. Oh, listen, I, I went into the ministry in the days, of Charles, of the guys who preached against long hair, short dresses, beards. They asked me, by the way, if you wonder why, you pro it's so white you probably can't even see that it's there. But I told Todd, Todd, man, you're coming along, but I'm going to do one thing you can't do. I'm going to grow a beard. You have to ask him about that. He said he's going to try. All six hairs right there. I grew up in the day when they preached against everything, and I wondered, what are we for? I know what we're against. What are we for? Well, beware of legalists. They will put you under their rules so that they can disqualify you. I'm more righteous than you are because I don't drink alcohol. I'm more righteous than you are because I don't have long hair. I don't have any hair. I, I told Alan, Alan's back there, I told Alan my life's ambition was to have hair and a beard like Alan's and instead I ended up with a hairdo like Jay Gohagen, Heather. It's just not fair. Rules, rules, rules. I got to tell you, it, it bugs me to see a 300-pound preacher preaching against alcohol or against any addiction. And you know there are a lot of different addictions and alcohol is just one of them. Be careful about rules. That's not what saves you. That's not what makes you spiritual. And people who do that are just trying to disqualify you and take away your reward. And they can't do it. It's in Christ. Nobody can take your reward away from you because you are complete in Christ. We live for Him not because there are rules. We live for Him because we love Him. And we love Him because He loved us. So how do you escape? Four reasons, real quick. This is about the fifth sermon, in case you've lost count. 
Four reasons you, sh you shouldn't be a legalist. Number one, because you're dead to their rules. You are dead in Christ. He died and you died with Him if you've trusted in Him. And you're dead to rules. You don't need them. Number two, these rules are about temporary things. Things that don't matter. They won't last. They'll be burned up with the elements of the earth when God comes and destroys it all and builds a new heaven and a new earth. It's temporary stuff. And it doesn't matter. They're destined to perish. Number three, their rules are made up by men. All of those things that they preached against back when I was a teenager and a young preacher, none of it, none of it was in the Bible. It was all traditions by men. I preached the Word of God. If you catch me preaching something that's not the Word of God, you show me in the Bible where I'm wrong. These are rules made up by men, not by God. Besides which, their rules do not work. They don't work. These things lack value in restraining sensual indulgence. They don't work. Listen, what's this? What is it all about? I've preached five sermons in one, and but do you get it? It's all about this. Jesus is the one and only, and He's enough. Jesus is what you need. He is who you need, and He is sufficient. Now listen to me. Look up here. If you dedicate your life to Christ, the devil's going to get mad as a hornet. And he's going to do everything he can to draw you away. And Mike, he will offer cheap substitutes that are no good, of no avail. John David, they won't do anything for us. Only Jesus. He's enough. He is the one and only, and he's enough. Beware of cheap substitutes. I want to ask you, I'm out of time. I want you to stand, please. Bow your heads. I said in the beginning that the devil will do anything he can to keep you from serving God. Even if you get saved, he will do everything he can to keep you from serving God. Even if you serve he will do everything he can to keep you from impacting the lives of other people. He is our enemy, but our Savior is greater than our enemy. Amen? Our Savior is greater than our enemy. Rest in him. Do not listen to the deceptive speech and the tricks of Satan himself. If you've never been saved, the devil would love to keep you lost. Jesus wants to save you. He died for you so that he could. This is your opportunity. If you've never trusted Christ, let me pray with you. Let Todd counsel you in the counseling room. Let's make sure that you have eternal life before you leave this building. If you've never been baptized, we said we've got two that are coming. Praise God. What about you? 
Do you need to be baptized? Here's a perfect opportunity. Just come speak to one of the pastors. You've been coming. You're a guest. We're glad to have you. We'd rather have you as a member. And if you want to be a member of this church, speak to one of the pastors. Todd's going to linger here after the service. And you can come to him, speak with him privately. I'm going to be in the lobby. You can speak with me. Make the decision that God is calling on you to make. Now let's close in prayer and then we'll have some announcements. Father, I pray a blessing on this crowd today. I pray the movement of your spirit, giving them the assurance of salvation or drawing them to salvation. I pray that you would convict them of the decision of surrender. Lord, the, the false guilt, whatever. Lord, I realize that every person here may have heard a different sermon today because they will hear what they need to hear. And I pray that that is the case. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified and we will praise you, Father, for what you do in this invitation. In Jesus' name. Amen.